Yo, 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 what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the podcast called Getting to Know God. This is the place where we look to the scriptures and only the scriptures to know the one true living God of the Bible, letting him speak for himself in his word through the Psalms. I'm Brandon, also known as Pastor B-Side, and today we're going to look at the attributes of God as the Lord describes them in Psalm 9. The title for our study today is called Faithful. But real quick, before we get started, I just wanted to remind you that if you've been digging on these studies or the things I do for ministry, please take a second and make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast and telling people about it on social media, sharing it with the people you know. A simple tap of the like or share button could help put the true gospel of Jesus Christ in front of someone's eyes for the first time, or maybe even encourage a believer who really needs it. And that's what we all want. Amen? So enough of that. Let's check these verses. In Psalm 9, the Bible says this, to the chief musician, to the tune of Death of the Son, a Psalm of David, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they shall fall and perish at your presence. For you have maintained my right and my cause. You sat on the throne judging in righteousness. You have rebuked the nations. You have destroyed the wicked. You have blotted out their name forever and ever. O enemy, destructions are finished forever. And you have destroyed cities. Even their memory has perished. But the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. And he shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. When he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Have mercy on me, O Lord. Consider my trouble from those who hate me. You lift me up from the gates of death, that I may tell of all your praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in your salvation. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made, in the net which they hid. Their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Meditation, Selah. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. Arise, O Lord, do not let man prevail. Let the nations be judged in your sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. All right, so this is part two of our four-part study of Psalm 9, because we got a lot of stuff here, obviously, right? So last episode, we looked at verses 1 through 10. This episode, we're going to break down only verses 11 and 12. So let's check them out. Now, the Lord is faithful to fulfill each and every one of his eternally unconditional promises. Very important to understand. The Bible makes this clear and provides a whole bunch of proof to show that God does not change his mind, he does not lie, and he doesn't grow weak or unable over time or with circumstances to keep him from doing what he promised. One of the most compelling and even the most foundational proofs that God provides about these things in order to validate his faithfulness is actually the nation of Israel. <laughs> How about that? The Lord God Almighty has made several covenants with Israel over the course of their history. The Bible documents each and every 
one of them, and they're very important. He also documents all of the circumstances that he made these covenants in. So those covenants were not made in response to the Jews being amazing people who deserved God's favor. That's not at all what the Bible teaches. God's promises to Israel were made on the basis of his grace, beginning with the promise he made to Abraham. Abraham didn't do anything to earn God's favor, but he still received God's promises anyway. King David might have done some pretty cool things, right? He did some good works and was a great man of faith before God even made his promises to him. But the scope of God's covenant with David was far greater in value than David's works and his faith. Since God's promises are made on the basis of grace, that means he's not dependent on people to fulfill those things. And the testimony of scripture, which documents Israel's history, shows that God will fulfill his promises in spite of us, not because of us. This truth should compel the true people of God to praise the Lord. That's what this is all about. God's people should consider the grace of God and the magnitude of power, wisdom, and faithfulness that God is always manifesting to fulfill his promises. We should be excited. We should be passionate and zealous for God, his purposes, and the opportunity that we get to be beneficiaries of those promises in spite of who we are. In Psalm 9, David was really compelled to shout for joy and express a deep affection for the Lord within his heart. He considered God's identity, he weighed the value of God's promises, and then he marveled at how he could be a beneficiary of God's good works, not his own, but God's. David's joy, his excitement, and his gratitude was so great that he literally shouted for joy and sang songs to God, and this is one of those songs. In Psalm 9, verses 11 through 12, the Bible explains that David thanked God so emphatically, so enthusiastically, because he understood the basis of God's goodness, which is his faithfulness. Psalm 9, verses 11 and 12 begins with song lyrics that command us to sing praises to the Lord. So again, it says, sing praises to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds among the people. When he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. Now, this phrase was used in verse 1 of this psalm, but David provided more reason that we should all keep singing. David called for God's people to sing to the Lord, and what is the reason? It's because he dwells in Zion. This is a profound statement that really requires us to consider these things really deeply and focus on what's being said. Even though David lived nearly a thousand years before Jesus took the form of flesh in New Testament times, David understood that God was present with his people and would continue to be with his people as the Messiah. The reference to Zion is a messianic reference to Jerusalem. In other words, it's a, it's a, it's a phrase that ties directly to who the Messiah is and what he will do. Here, we're talking about where he will do what he's been sent to do. The original Hebrew word for Zion first appears in Scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 7. And that's just before God called to David in order to make his covenant with David. There, the Bible documents the fulfillment of God's promise to make David the king over all of Israel. David ruled from Hebron for seven and a half years, but then went on to overtake the Jebusites that were the native inhabitants of Jerusalem. Even though the Jebusites were confident that David would not overthrow them, David, of course, defeated them. He assumed control of Jerusalem and then called it the city of David. And it's there 
that God fulfilled his promise to make David the shepherd of Israel and also where Jerusalem is first called Zion. So the mention of Zion is a specific reference that highlights God's faithfulness to do what he promised, in that direct context, what he promised to David. Now, the English word Zion is a Hebrew word that literally translates into the phrase parched place. The concept can refer to a sunny place, explaining that the region is parched because of being scorched by the sun, right? We get it. But there are spiritual implications associated with these concepts. The Bible often refers to Jerusalem as Zion, in the prophetic books of the Bible especially. The word is often used by God to refer to Jerusalem in the context of his judgments, and then the restoration he promises to bring from those judgments. In this context, the phrase parched place can refer to Israel's spiritual condition. They were often parched in spiritual terms, which means they were lacking the water of life that only comes from God, and usually because of their idolatry and unfaithfulness. God judged Israel so often because of their unfaithfulness, showing that the people were often destitute of spiritual nourishment, being dry and shriveled up. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 37, God showed the prophet Ezekiel a vision of Israel's spiritual condition at that time. And in that vision, Israel resembled a valley filled with dead and dry bones because they were separated from the Lord their God, having greater affection for personal goals and ambitions and the ungodly things of the world. Still, when God referred to Jerusalem as Zion, he usually assured the children of Israel that he would provide restoration. So yeah, they were dry, but he would fill them up and quench their thirst, essentially. Even though they were parched and dry in spiritual terms, God repeatedly assured his people that he would correct the issue by purging their sin and filling the people with a quality of life that only he can provide. When God showed Ezekiel the Valley of Dry Bones, God also showed Ezekiel that those dry bones would be brought back to life in order to be fully functional, healthy, and thriving individuals that served God's purposes and worshipped him through that service. This vision that Ezekiel had showed that while Israel was definitely faithless, God remained faithful to do what he said and would exercise his power to bring back the dead, or at least that which seemed dead, in order that he could fulfill his eternally unconditional promises to his people. Now, there have been moments in history where the nation of Israel definitely appeared to be dead. The northern ten tribes of Israel were conquered and then deported by the Assyrian captivity in 722 BC. The two remaining southern tribes of Israel, Benjamin and Judah, were later conquered and deported in the 70-year Babylonian captivity in 586 BC. At that time, Jerusalem was totally destroyed, utterly destroyed, and the temple, that thing laid in total ruin, right? Even still, God exercised his sovereign control to bring the people back into the land, 70 years later, right on schedule. And then he restored them. He allowed them to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple, even in troublesome times, just like he promised through the prophets Isaiah and Daniel. And even after all that, Israel was unfaithful again. And then we saw it expressed by their desire to crucify the Lord Jesus. Israel was leveled again, this time by the Roman Empire. Jerusalem was again laid to waste in 70 AD, and the second temple was destroyed. Israel really seemed to be cut off from God's promises at that time, laying like desolate wasteland with the people scattered all over the earth for a very long time. 
They certainly seemed to resemble a dry and lifeless people. But then out of nowhere, in 1948, the repopulated land was declared a sovereign nation again. And in 1967, the children of Israel were able to retake Jerusalem as their capital city. And we can look and see the evidence of all those things today. So even though Israel had committed so much spiritual adultery against God, he was faithful to keep them just close enough in order to preserve a faithful remnant that he could continue to work with. History shows that David's proclamation was absolutely right. The Lord dwells in Zion. He's always working. It doesn't always look like it, but he's there doing his thing exactly as he declared. The unbelief of God's people does not affect his willingness to dwell in the midst of his people in order to fulfill his promises as they're written in scripture. God is righteous to discipline and chasten the people that he loves, but is wise to ensure that his chastening is actually spiritually fruitful and not destructive, especially to the integrity of his word. So the concept of Zion is a huge word in scripture that's intended to remind all of God's people, both Jewish and Gentile, that God is faithful to do what he said. God's historical dealings with Israel are absolutely amazing. God's historical work with Israel confirms that even though God's people are spiritually parched, and sometimes we are too, God has the water that gives life and is constantly inviting his people to come and drink freely. This truth is certainly worthy of praising God in songs and shouts and in passionate proclamations of God's goodness. Amen? Psalm 9, verses 11 and 12, calls for God's people to declare his deeds among the people, which means to speak of the faithful, miraculous, and difficult-to-comprehend works that God has done throughout human history to prove his faithfulness. And of course, if we're looking at the scriptures on the examples that we just covered, it doesn't hurt to keep an eye on Israel. Can we explain how God was able to preserve David from King Saul all that time, exalting him as the true king of Israel decades later, according to his promise? Can we explain how David was able to easily conquer the Jebusites in order to take Jerusalem, even though Joshua and Caleb were previously unsuccessful? Can we explain why God continually assures Israel that he will dwell with them and fulfill all of his promises to them in spite of all of their unfaithfulness? Can we explain how God is able to bring life to those who are spiritually dead? Can we explain how Israel is the only nation in history that has been repeatedly conquered and deported, yet currently dwells within their original homeland as a significant world power that's currently thriving? Can we explain why God selected Jerusalem to begin with, to be his dwelling place out of all the other places in the universe that he created? Can we explain how God dwells in the midst of his people all over the world, but also resides in Jerusalem and in his heavenly kingdom all at once. See, whether we can explain these things or not really is the issue. We can examine the facts of human life, though, and see that they're all true. David didn't understand how or why, no more than we do, but that didn't stop him from telling people the truth about what God was doing. David knew that even though he suffered and his people experienced frequent opposition, God was faithful to dwell with his people and bring living water to them when they were dry. David wrote that God avenges the blood of his people because he remembers his people. God remembers his people because he remembers his promises 
to those people, right? It's all about what he said. It's all about what he promised. It's all about God's word. God remembers his promises to his people because God is faithful. That's who he is, period. David then went on to identify who God's people truly are, right? This all sounds good if you're a child of God. Well, who is that according to these verses? He referred to Israel in one sense, but added details to explain who the true Jews were. Again, verse 12 says, when he avenges blood, he remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the humble. So David didn't generally refer to the descendants of Abraham as the beneficiaries of God's promises, like all of Israel was going to benefit from all the good things God promised to do. That wasn't the case, and the Bible doesn't teach that. David referred to those who sought the Lord, and he described them as humble and faithful and in fear of God's judgments. God does fulfill his promises to his people, but God's people are the people who humble themselves before God and that's whether Jew or Gentile. God's dealings with unfaithful Israel show that God is patient and merciful with all human depravity. His work continued with Israel, and that shows that he is mighty to save those who are lost and willing to preserve a faithful remnant to empower them as instruments of his righteous works in order to fulfill his word. The Bible refers to those people as blessed, they are saved by the mercy and grace of God from the destruction of God's judgments. These people are humble, seeking the faithfulness of God and his righteousness in order to stand approved before him, and that is the chief goal of their lives. And that is where they become beneficiaries of God's promises. God is faithful because that's who God is. The people who receive the benefits of his faithfulness are the people who recognize the glory and majesty of God according to his faithfulness and then humble themselves before God, rather than being consumed by the work and effort of selfish and personal ambitions. As God has done for Israel, and will continue to do until the fulfillment of every promise ever made to them, he will also do for the people who humble themselves to the truth and believe in the word of his testimony, the people who die to self and love the promise of his coming according to the word. And that's what the Bible teaches about the one that we know as God. So before I get out of here, I just wanted to give you a quick reminder to please take a second and make sure you're subscribed and make sure that you share the link to this podcast on your social media and make sure you're letting people know about what we got going on. We need all the help we can get around here. Don't keep the people you know from hearing the truth and hope that they may need from something like this. And also keep in mind that all of the Bible teaching I do here is 100% listener supported. This means that I depend on listeners like you to pay for all the pills and the tools that make this stuff available to you, as well as pay for all the time that it takes to study the word and prepare to this degree, just like any other pastor Bible teacher. If this podcast is helpful to you and you value this sort of teaching, please prayerfully consider sending a donation this way. We're a legit nonprofit. We are a 501c3 operating through our parent ministry called Proper Knowledge Ministries. If you'd like to partner with the work of the gospel that we're doing, you can visit www.pastorbside.com. This B-side, like the flip side of a record. When you get there, hit the support tab and give any amount that you're able as the Lord leads. Every bit helps. And if the Lord would lead you, maybe even consider partnering monthly with us, making your gift recurring, kind of like tithing to a church, because church is founded on the true teaching of the Bible, right? Continuing in the apostles' doctrine. And that's exactly what we do here. Something to think about and pray about. So again, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the study. And until next time, peace out.